and welcome to series three of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr. Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast, I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Liz McNeil. Liz is a knitting coach who works for Knit Chats where she helps solve people's knitting problems and teaches about different knitting techniques. Liz actually got in touch with me after she first heard, I think, series one of the podcast. We got chatting over Instagram and ended up arranging for her to do an interview for the podcast. So if you also have an interesting story to tell about how important knitting has been to your mental well-being, or you feel the conversations we've had haven't really reflected your experience, then I'd love to hear from you too. You can send me an email at mia at therapeuticknitting.org, or you can also contact me on Instagram, where I am, knitting is therapeutic. So hi Liz, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Um, so I always start with asking, where did your story with knitting begin? Mine began um, almost, yeah, almost 17 years ago. Um, I was newly married. My oldest was only about six months old at the time. Mm-hmm. And I did cloth diapers with all of my kids. And there for a while, I don't know if it's the case anymore. I haven't had kids in diapers for a bit, but um, there was like a lot of focus on really cute diaper covers, wool diaper covers. And I wanted them so badly. I mean, some of these were just works of art, but they were like, I mean, you could buy newborn, which most babies don't say newborn for very long, but you could buy newborn ones for like $100 a pair for one pair of itty bitty pants for somebody to pee in (laughs) and I was like there's no way I'm paying that oh I know I'll just learn to knit myself so that I can have it at a more reasonable price (laughs) which is definitely not the case at all (laughs) that is one of those ones where it's like why buy it for seven dollars when you can make it for 98 dollars in supplies yeah that's that's pretty (laughs) accurate so that was that was why I initially wanted to learn how. So and did you ever successfully make diaper covers? Yeah. You did. Yeah, that was the that was the very first thing I made. I know a lot of people tend to do the whole wash rag or scarf or something simple, but I don't I tend to I try and tell people to make something that makes them happy first because mm. then you're motivated. You want to finish it. And so I took that approach to it as well. And my very first pattern I ever made was little turtle knits, picky pants, which was a diaper cover and you could do multiple lengths. And I did shorts with a little ruffled hem and a braided drawstring that was probably thicker than like three of my fingers together. And it was in some manos I do believe and Mm -hmm. they were so tight like they look textured because of how twisted my stitches were I just thought they were the most amazing thing ever (laughs) (laughs) so you were super proud of yourself oh yeah and I tried to take pictures but unfortunately it was like um 
caramely type browns and I had just a crappy flip phone at the time. And so every picture was blown out and looked like browns from the seventies. Like it was, <laughs> I never, ever got a good picture. And I kept them for years trying to get a good picture, even long after I'd ever used them. Cause is determined to show off those amazing <laughs> and you like, ran out of models pants. <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah of the yes, right I size did. presumably <laughs> yeah and how quickly they lasted did, forever how quickly did you move on to knitting other things um I'd say fairly quick honestly because at the time Knitty the, the magazine well the online one um was like cranking out patterns and a lot of them are totally beginner friendly. Um, so one of my next projects was this um, like tank top that had a ruffle at the top and I did it in two different colors and I think it was seamed, I can't remember, but it was super simple. And the ruffle made you feel like it was fancier hmm. than it was. So you could like crank it out. You didn't really start with beginner projects at all. Like you went quite. No. <laughs> but maybe you didn't know. Sometimes that's the benefit of being. <laughs> you don't quite know how advanced it is. Yeah, because my first supplies when I was like, well, I think I want to try this was like these super long acrylic glittery straight needles that I'd gotten from a local craft store and then I hated them because for me plastic needles they bend a lot right about the point where they sit right there on my hand and so I was always worried I was gonna break them so I returned those and then went to my actual OIS and bought my first set of Addies and that was that like I kind of skipped that tinkering around phase where you figure out what supplies you want and I went from super cheap to take all my money and my mortgage <laughs> and spend so it on my needles. baby can pee on this <laughs> <laughs> and did you keep knitting from then on like for the last 17 years has it been fairly regular in your life yeah there's been a couple times where it's slowed down um but for the most part it's been it's been fairly consistent which is kind of surprising. I've added other stuff in since then. Um, spinning came fairly quick. And then in the last couple of years, I've added weaving. Mm -hmm. So there's always yarn around. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think it was about knitting initially that kind of attracted you to that as a craft or kind of kept you going once you'd uh, started off? Um, I think that that's where mine tends to differ a little bit from previous people you've had on. Um, I'm not totally caught up on all the episodes, so maybe I'm not <laughs> the only one. But so far, um, I originally started because I wanted all those super cute things. And at the time, I told everybody, well, I don't want to pay that much for it. And that that was a good part of it. But it was also kind of um, a way to cope. I, I got married really, really young. 
Um, I was 18. I had my first baby by 19. Um, and it, it was not the best choice I had made to get married that young. Mm-hmm. Um, my now ex-husband was, I could have picked better. Okay. <laughs> and so a lot of the, well, I could do that because I can do it cheaper was more because we didn't have any other option. Um, so even if I'd wanted to pay a hundred dollars for tiny baby pants, um, we, we just were not able to. And so it was, it started as a, well, I could totally do that. And then quickly morphed into, well, there's no other way I'm going to be able to have this, mm-hmm. but kind of need it because there's also no other way that I can afford not to. I didn't have the option to go and get disposables. So I had to use cloth, which means I had to have some sort of diaper cover. And, and over the years, it just kind of continued that way. Um the I have three kids and they're all about two and a half years apart and so there for a good stretch of time it was just kind of like constant back to back and our marriage never really got any better and I didn't have we moved a lot I think we moved 17 times in like nine years um and so I never really had a whole lot of in-person community around me. My family, for the most part, all lived in other states. I mean, I've lived everywhere from Oregon to Georgia. Um, And so it kind of became a lifeline for me because there was always Nitty. There was always a Facebook group with based on knitting. There was always some way of being like, yeah, you know, I'm up late, babies won't sleep tonight, and just kind of just sitting here knitting, and people wouldn't be like, well, why are you up? Why can't you get your baby to sleep? Why why aren't you doing this during the day? They'd be like, oh, yeah, what yarn are you using? And so it was kind of that connection to something that felt more consistent than what I was getting in my day-to-day. So it's a way you could have a community that you took with you when you moved. You could still access that community wherever you went. Exactly. And there was always, there's always a local yarn store. There's always a knitting group. There's always that consistency that is not there when you're moving all the time or when you have babies or, I mean, for the most part, people in your peer group, you all get married around the same time. You all have babies at the same time and so on. But generally most people are pretty stable by the time they're getting to that point and that just was not the case for me and so knitting kind of forced me into a community that was stable and it I think it honestly helped kind of keep me more grounded as a result because I could just be like okay well this sucks I'm gonna hop online now Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the online community part of knitting was quite an important part for you. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, why knitting appealed to you. Yeah, and I hadn't met any knitters until 
I've been knitting about a year, year and a half. And then, and that was only because I'd moved somewhere where a friend who knit lived nearby. And then after that, after we moved from there, I don't, it was another couple of years till I had anybody local to me. So it was kind of the community I could take with me no matter what. Yeah. And I guess also the knitting maybe felt a familiarity of having a hobby that you could do wherever you ended up or not needing masses of, it's quite portable and small and. Exactly. And I know a lot of people will talk about the like meditative qualities and it, and the first time I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, roll my eyes. That's so dumb. Why did we have to make everything something big? But <laughs> it, it really did end up being that. There were, there were multiple times that I remember just sitting up wishing, you know, I had done things differently or wishing I could get through to, to my ex-husband and not knowing what to do and so out of habit I just pick up whatever project was sitting next to me and just sit there and and my hands would move separate from what was going on in my head and at the end of it I wouldn't feel like I'd solved anything but hey I've got a wash rag or I've got a hat or something and so all of that that angst and worry or whatever I was going through became productive at the Mm. end of it all yeah and I think that's sometimes helpful, isn't it? The idea of having like, there's all of this stuff out there in the world that I can't control, like all my life or whatever. Yeah. And then there's this thing that I can control. And sometimes I just need to hang out with this small cardigan or wash a rag or whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. Even if your gauge is wrong or you've mismeasured somehow, it's like, oh, wait, no, I did that. That is 100% mine. There's no external whatever involved in it it's just me and that's that's nice Mm. when you're in a funk yeah did you meet people in the places you ended up living like through the yarn shop or anything did you have in-person kind of contacts through knitting I did the very first knitting group that I ever did like um like a knitting night with was in Georgia and there was a a yarn store maybe like two-ish miles from my house and I'd stopped in one night and one of the workers there her name was Sally absolutely loved this woman she was amazing and she'd mentioned that they had knitting once a week and by that point I had all three of my kids um I we had just moved out that direction so I hadn't really met anybody yet um my ex-husband traveled a lot, so I didn't have access to a vehicle a whole lot of times. And when I found out what day they were, I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going. And at the time, I I was still blogging. And so I would do a what's in my bag post every week. And I'd be like, look what I'm taking to knitting tonight. And then I'd like book it out the door as fast as I could. I didn't give my ex a, a chance to be like, well I could really have you stay home tonight I'd be like okay bye and like run out the door and it was only for like an hour a day or an hour a week and I don't I don't recall ever feeling like it was super 
warm and welcoming. Um, but I could just go and sit mm. and and just observe if I wanted to. Like it was so low key that I never felt like I had to participate. I could just sit there and work on my project and not say anything. Or I could go in and ask for help and completely monopolize the conversation and wouldn't have either one would have been fine with the rest mm. of the group. So that was really nice. Do you think that made it easier to go out and join something compared to, I don't know, some other kind of social gathering that you might have had? A, there might have been different like social rules about going along and feeling you had to make conversation or know someone already or I, yeah, I think it did. Um, the, the woman, Sally, she was, she was absolutely amazing. And she would just kind of flit in and out of the group as people went or as the night went on and she'd kind of encourage little pockets of conversation. So you never went feeling like you had to be the instigator in anything. Um, I know there are some social situations where you kind of have to force yourself to be present and interact to get things going until, you know, everybody relaxes and stuff. And that just wasn't the case, which was really nice because at that point in time, um, my marriage was just just a couple of years away from ending. And so things were really tense all the time for me and so going and not having to be as present as say like a book club you can't go and just sit there like Hmm. people are going to be like okay did you read the book though (laughs) but if you show up with knitting they'll be like oh you have yarn okay whatever you do you and so that it takes off that burden and that expectation Hmm. and I guess you don't even have to really make eye contact and everybody's busy doing their thing and sometimes it's easy to chip in with I don't know if someone's asking for help picking colors for something or exactly one of my first patterns like that I clearly remember adding on Ravelry is because of that group because someone had come in they just finished it they were showing it off and that day I was kind of off I don't even remember what was going on but I I'd shown up I did not want to talk to anybody I actually had considered sitting in a chair separate from everyone and just kind of observing from the background and I saw her pull this out and I leaned forward and she just passes it around and I remember being so so in love with this project that I went home and added it to my queue and I still think about that I haven't had it in my queue for years because it just ended up not being something I would ever make but you're just kind of included without having Mm. to be actively involved yeah so it sounds like that was what you needed at that particular point in your life that made it accessible Mm. yeah and are there other ways you think knitting benefits your kind of mental well-being or I don't know does the process make a difference like the what you knit or is all knitting equal no no it's definitely not I I'm an emotional knitter I guess you could say Mm. um I I laugh when I when I tell people I will angry knit um and 
it's pretty entertaining. A couple of years ago, someone on Facebook was like, I want to see how you knit. And so everybody was like recording two minutes or something. And the night I recorded mine, um, I don't even remember what was on my mind, but I, I remember going into it thinking, this looks like angry knitting. Like I look, <laughs> my movements are like, and I posted it and I'd mentioned it to my boyfriend at the time and he laughed he's like you always knit like this though and I was like I do not and I posted it and people are like why are you so mad like what are you doing why are you knitting like this and I was like well crap do I knit angry and I I really do I I knit hard and fast if I'm upset or if I've got a lot on my mind I just kind of absent-mindedly like plow through it and I wouldn't say I'm a slow and thoughtful knitter or anything like that but you can definitely see where my mood is at in some of my projects my gauge will be like super tight and then all of a sudden it's like got beautiful drape and my (laughs) stitches are even I'm like oh look I was mad in one of these spots and not in the other and so it's I tend to knit a lot of things I don't actually wear. Okay. I love to knit lace shawls, mm. but I don't wear them. I feel like I have a really short and squatty neck. And so I never wear them. I don't gift them either. I just make them. And so mm. I have this drawer full of shawls and I tend to pick those when I'm wanting to relax. And so I'll, be like angry or frustrated or stuck in my head and here I am like with yak lace weight yarn knitting this multi paneled lace shawl and people are like what is wrong with you knit a wash rag I'm like but that's not soothing so is it because is there something soothing about the kind of the complicated nature of the project do you think that it kind of takes your mind off whatever's making you angry or upset in your life and you just have to like to read a chart you have to kind of focus quite a lot on that do you think it's that or do you think it's like the yak is I don't think I've actually knit with yak but is it like that's kind of soft and soothing and you want that in your hands or you want this kind of I'm not entirely certain Mm. I think some of it is that it forces my brain to slow down Mm. Um, my brain is going nonstop all the time. Um, and it does kind of force a quietness that I don't otherwise get. Um, like, and I'm, I'm going all the time. I don't, I don't have good respect for sleep hygiene. I, I'm up super late up super early sometimes and so there's not a whole lot of downtime for my brain to just just be Mm. and I think those more complicated projects or more time intensive ones they do kind of force that and they force the quietness but then they also force me to to stop and just just pay attention like um one pattern I'm working on right now does um it's a vintage pattern from 1930 
30s and it's got a super simple lace pattern in it but the lace kind of like forms these diamonds and there's a part where it's got a knit three together that's not a super hard stitch but you do have to pay attention you have to make sure that you're catching all three and so it it forces me to calm down in my movements in my thoughts and I just have to be present even if it's only for that single knit three mm. together I have to be there and if I can do that, then kind of tricks you out of that, that loop of thoughts where, okay, well, I'm angry about this, which then leads to, well, I have every right to be angry about it. Well, there's no solution. And now I'm even more angry. And so it kind of forces you out of that self-destructive loop that mm. is super easy to get into if you don't, if you don't process it. So it gives you a bit of distance from your thoughts and just brings yeah. you back into the here and now with your, like out of your head and into your hands in a way to focus on moving. Exactly. Them. Yeah. And, and I think by allowing that distance, it helps, it helps you kind of see whatever's on your mind without the emotion. Hmm. Cause if you're, if you're reading a chart, and you're working through it you can still you know think about your to-do list or whatever yeah. you need to do but you're kind of splitting your attention so in order to be able to read the chart accurately well I can't get myself worked up into a tither over here about this so now you've removed that emotional aspect of it which helps you see whatever is bugging you more logically and clearly and then by the end you're like oh well no I shouldn't be so upset or irritated or whatever by whatever's going on at the mm. time do you think knitting ever changes so it sounds like in a way it's a a mirror holds a mirror up to your mood so that you can see like oh my knitting is angry I must be angry or I'm you know chilled out now it sounds like it kind of mirrors how you're feeling does it ever change like move you from one state into another or does it like not make you any less angry it's just an outlet for the anger which I guess is an equally valid reason to do it <laughs> I think it's I think it's both it kind of works as a mood regulator um I can work it out I get the the physical release um but then I also tend to be I'm I'm that person that's like okay I have one more inch left in this ribbing oh I've done two rows I better measure it and so I'm like oh well that's not quite an inch because you know I'm working on fingering weight yarn I'll do two more rows and then measure it and so pretty soon I've moved past whatever was on my mind at the time to what are you doing? You're not going to have an inch after two rows. So then I'm chuckling to myself because come on, you know, your gauge, you're not going to do it. And then it's like, oh, but now I've hit that one inch mark and I'm like, whoa, now I can move to this next part. So it helps me work it out physically, but then I also get swept up in the momentum of the progress of the project. Hmm. So you get the and then I'm, adrenaline or like the sense of achievement yeah exactly so it helps move it past mentally and I get the physical outlet as well mm, sure um I can really see the appeal of the kind of beautiful lace shawls but I have to say I'm not 
that great at wearing them either I just find that they fall off me or the dog yeah. grabs the end of them or something but yeah. they are I, beautiful <laughs> nice to know I end up feeling I end up feeling like um what road doll book is it the twits when they stand on their head and they start shrinking into their neck that's what I start <laughs> to feel like whenever I wear a shawl or a scarf <laughs> Um, Liz, I'd love to hear about a significant knitting project for you. Oh, so the, hmm, I'd probably say the beekeeper quilt. Um, when that first came out, we were living in Georgia. So this was like back in 2011. And um, my ex-mother-in-law absolutely adore that woman. Um, she's just, she's just amazing. And she, she really helped kind of keep my, keep me focused in those early years. Mm -hmm. Um, and without even realizing it, I think. And so when the beekeeper came out, I wanted to make it and, but I didn't want to make it for myself because I was like that's insane that project is huge and so I was like oh I'll make it for her her birthday's in January um they live in a state that has bitter winters at time um that'll be perfect but I knew I did not want to do it stuffed and I didn't want to do it on such a small gauge So I actually ended up tweaking it Um, and I started it in the summer and with all my tweaks and everything, I was mostly done. We moved back home to the state that she lived in um, by winter and I've restarted it. I think I restarted it like two or three times and each time I tweaked it just a little bit more and then the year that I finished it, I took the entire thing apart and redid it from the knitting to the seaming and blocking and everything in something like seven days. Wow. So I just, I just looked it up on Instagram because I wasn't familiar with it. So it's Mm -hmm. small. Are they like hexagons or something small? Yeah. 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 And the original pattern, you did it, um, in the round so you could stuff them and then you would just like sew your corners together with like an anchoring stitch and the way I ended up doing it was I did it in worsted weight and I did it in these great big long strips and I did it flat so the front was you know well it was just stockinette and so you have the the right side and the wrong side and then I seamed it um with a crochet hook and I don't crochet, so it was like the worst tension ever. And then I think I added a border on it. It ended up being something like three and a half pounds when it was all said and done. I mean, it was a queen size blanket. Yeah. And, but I had fiddled with it for like a year and a half. And then January comes around. And I was like, no, she needs this blanket. And so I took it all apart and then refinished it in like seven, 10 days, something like that. And it 
took the pictures in our really crappy apartment lighting wise in the middle of winter in at like eight or something so like there's no light in these pictures but I was so excited Mm. and we hurried and ran it over to her and I like go bursting in her room I was like happy birthday and I gave it to her and she still she still has it she's asked me to repair it I've been divorced seven ish years now mm-hmm. and every now and then I'll get a message hey how do I clean this or there's a whole it looks like something's coming undone can you fix it and it's off limits to the rest of the house like that is her blanket and she makes sure everybody knows and so it's really it been really cherished fun. yeah and I knew she would she still has um quilts from her childhood that were done by family by hand and there's very few people who are allowed to use those ones because she doesn't want stitches popped and stuff so I knew she would take care of it but it ended up she ended up loving it way more than I thought she would but it was massive and it must have been a real labor of love like making all of those uh uh shapes and then seaming them all together must have been an enormous job it it was and because of the way I tweaked it I had to kind of adjust the pattern like because I would do one and then I would do like a garter stitch row and then immediately start into the next one which was fine except that created like a little bit of extra length between the two so things started to look out of proportion. And that was probably the first project where I really realized that not all yarn weights are created equal. So just because my Mad Tosh was worsted and my whatever else I used at the time was worsted didn't mean they were the same one. And so there was a couple that I, it was mostly in like, brown and honey type tones but then I'd have like this really solid blue one randomly stuck in there and I'd get to that one and be so excited and realize oh my gosh this is like this is thicker than the rest enough so that I need to adjust that particular one by like four or five stitches which is not a problem I could do the math easy enough but when it came to seaming it that meant that section was four or five stitches shorter than the one next to it. And so had I put a little bit more thought into it, I would have, I would have swatched for one. <laughs> I did not swatch on this giant project and it, it wasn't a problem until it came time to seam it up and make sure everything lined up and mm, sure. was, didn't ripple on me. <laughs> wow. So I can imagine the sense of achievement you must have had once it was finally finished. Oh yeah, I still look at the pictures. Like anytime someone's like, I want to plug up, I'm like, oh, let me show you this one I made. And <laughs> the pictures are terrible. I mean, this was like 10 or so years ago. I mean, it's been a while. So the picture quality just was not what it is today. And sure. I still look at the pictures and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I did that. <laughs> oh. I always end the podcast Liz with asking about the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life I don't know what it is for you that's a tough one I'd say 
I'd say probably that feeling of productivity. Hmm. Um, there for a really long time, I didn't work and I didn't have a way to get out of the house and be something other than married with young kids. And even in the best of situations, that kind of, you start to feel like you've lost yourself and that your entire day revolves around everyone else and doing and being for somebody else and knitting. That's all me. Like I'm, I'm fairly selfish in my knitting. I will knit for others, but that's, that's my time. This is my project. This is my moment. And so it, even if all I do is unravel something for the 700th time that day, it's still, you get that visual feedback of the progress, whether forward or backwards. Um, and then it, when you finish it, it's like, oh, hey, I did that. So you get that feeling of I was productive and efficient with my time or not. Um, and I achieved this and I did that without input from others. And that's, it's all 100% you, even if it's not for you. Hmm. And it sounds, I think a lot of people return to it after having small kids I think it's a difficult time isn't it to feel a sense of achievement I guess a lot of the things you do to care for children are like feeding them clothing them washing them you can't there's nothing to show for it really at the end of a day you just have to do it all again tomorrow (laughs) yeah and hope that you did it well enough that day that no one feels they they have anything to say about it. it gets redundant and when you don't have a good built-in system or a community or anything like that, those days become really, really long. And so if you can whip out a wash rag in the two hours that they're napping, it's like, oh, hey, look, I've done something that's not based on somebody else's needs. And that I think goes a really, that goes a long way for keeping your sanity especially Mm. in those early years so it was something to feel productive in a way you could see and touch and something for you that was just for you not about meeting someone else's needs exactly it was Mm. yeah and there for a really long time that's all I felt like I was doing was my entire day was focused on somebody else and Sometimes those somebody else's overlapped. I've got the kids, but then I've also got, you know, my ex-husband who's complaining that I only focus on the kids or, you know, I have to go do this because I finally have a chance to, because, you know, the kids are occupied or whatever. And I just want a moment to sit and breathe without someone in my lap and in my space. And so knitting kind of knitting forces that that personal bubble almost because I mean sure you could crawl in my lap but I might stab you with my needle in the process <laughs> so like it creates creates that connection like people want to talk to you but at the same time they're like oh okay I can see you're busy I can wait it's like oh finally someone's recognizing just give me a minute yeah and you get to kind of meet your needs as well a little bit exactly yeah, yeah. 
And am I right in thinking you've also taught other people to knit now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So through um, work, and then I also host my own knitting group. um, And that one meets weekly. Um, And we just got, we've only been allowed to start meeting up again post-COVID restrictions um, the last few months. Like we we had to take most of that time off. And so it's been really nice to have that back. And then um, through work, I answer questions. We do the one-on-one sessions, but we also did like over the summer, we did what we called summer camp. And it was like every day there was like a mini lesson. And so there one week I taught how to identify mystery fibers using like the bleach test or the burn test. Those were actually really, really fun to do. Yeah. So it sounds like you've almost kind of come full circle. You've now, from accessing knitting originally as a way of having a bit of community you could take with you through all those moves, you've now made your own (laughs) community and your own knitting group. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, the knitting group was um, kind of a fluke. I was thinking about the, the, one I had been going to in Georgia and I was telling my boyfriend about it at the time and I was like man that would just be so nice to do so I emailed my library and I was like hey so I really want to do this and they're like okay yeah you host it um like in the public part of the library and make it open for anyone to join then you can just do it and that's been that's been an interesting one um because even though it's my group I run it I kind of just sit back and let people join as they want. And there's another woman there who's like, oh yeah, so it's Liz's group. And then she'll jump in and start teaching somebody if they've got, if they need help with something. And then I just sit there and don't have to do anything. (laughs) It's been the same group of people for the most part. We have had a few new people recently. Um, One guy stopped by a couple weeks ago. He crochets hats. And he was so excited. He came over. We were about 20-ish minutes from wrapping up for the night. Comes over and he's like, oh my gosh, I thought you guys were a book group at first. And then I saw the knitting. I just need to show you this. And he like drops all of his stuff and starts pulling out all these crochet hats and this book that he'd come to check out. And he starts spilling his life story. And we were like, what's your name? <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, and they spilled more of it. And he's like, I'll be back next week. And he hasn't come back yet, but we get lots of people who do that sort of drop by and check in and then bail. And it's been, it's been interesting. Hmm. And maybe they'll be back sometime in the future. <laughs> I hope so. Cause he was entertaining. He was kind of built like um, a, a real life Popeye. <laughs> And he had this awesome, like huge grin, like he was just so awesome, but he never sat. I think he was kind of anxious about it because there aren't any other men in the group right now. And so I think he was nervous to sit down and join based on a couple things he'd said. Um, it sounded like he was super excited to have know that you exist and to, he came ready with all his hats. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Mm. It's a couple of years old now. Yeah. 
and a challenging time to do it during COVID, but it's good that you got yeah. back to doing it in real, in face-to-face. <laughs> yeah, and we did text each other throughout the closure. I'd be like, okay, guys, I've called in. We still can't meet. Um, we have to wait for such and such thing to change. Look at my project. And there was one lady who during that time, um, she lost her mom. She had a couple surgeries um, and we only knew because I would text on occasion because I was so heartbroken when we had to to put a pause on everything. Mm. That was my lifeline. That's my once a week, get out and not focus on anything else. And so I would text and then all of a sudden I'd get one outside the group text, be like, Hey such and such is going on with this person and I'm like oh okay well that's good to know and wouldn't have known that mm. if there hadn't we hadn't been meeting once yeah a week. yeah and I guess yeah sometimes it's a really helpful space isn't it when you're going through something difficult in your life and you don't have to talk about it necessarily but you could have a bit of companionship and a bit of like maybe stress-free problem-free conversation about something as frivolous yeah. as yarn or colors that maybe that yeah, and is the break you need. There's been a, it is. There's been a couple of times where I've gone and I just don't, don't say anything like a couple at the beginning of the, the pandemic. Um, one of my kids was in a car accident and I was super stressed about it because of how it happened and that first week afterwards, I just went and I just sat there and I was frustrated and I didn't want to cry in public, but I needed to get out of the house. So I just sat there and everybody kind of like, are you okay? And I'd be like, I'm fine. And then I left early that night. Initially, we were only meeting, was supposed to meet for an hour. And I think by the second time we met up, we were doing two hours. And so I left early that night, which is super rare for me. And then by the time I got home, I'd had a couple texts. Hey, you seemed a little off tonight. Is everything okay? And it's just nice to be able to go and exist without the expectation of existing for other people. You don't have to share if you don't want to, but if you do, then everyone can be like, yeah, man, that really sucks. Here's my thoughts. And then, and then the exchange is done. You're not, there's no expectations. Mm, yeah. Well, Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your experiences yes. about knitting. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If yes, thank you for having me. Anyone wants to find out more about you or your work or your knitting group, how would they do that? Are you on, you're on Instagram? Is that right? I am on Instagram as we little knitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. Then my, my work is knit chats and we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of all over the place, but mostly, mostly Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Super. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Why I Knit podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe as it helps other people to learn more about the therapeutic benefits of knitting. If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can visit my website at therapeuticknitting.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at knittingistherapeutic. Thank you.